And that's what we're really asking churches to do when they come alongside a newly arriving refugee family is be a person, be a friend, be a neighbor, and live intentionally in front of them. And that might be that might mean walking alongside a family as a part of a good neighbor team for six months. And it's a very intensive partnership, a very intensive relationship. Or it might mean driving a van to an English class and picking up people on, on a van route after being trained. And that's, that's a different type of on-ramp. But we're asking people to maybe give up a little comfort, give up a little time, and, and engage with the love of Christ and, and meet people where they are. The United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees stated the global refugee crisis reached a peak this year. Now, this was back in 2019. At this time in human history, there are more refugees and displaced people than in any other time on planet Earth. 65.3 million, or one out of 113 human beings, are displaced from their homes. According to a 2016 article by LifeWay, their research finds that churches are two times more likely to fear refugees than help them. 86% of evangelical pastors say their churches must get involved in compassionate care for refugees, while only 9% of churches are actually doing anything internationally and only 10% locally. Christians are perhaps, for the first time in U.S. history, forced to contemplate the relationship between their patriotism and their Christian faith. Will it be, are we American Christians or are we Christian Americans? Hi, and welcome to Mid-South Viewpoint. I'm Byron Tyler. Glad to have you along. And we have guests from World Relief Memphis. My good friend P.J. Moore is back with us. Thanks happy- for having me. Yeah. Hey, it's 2020, P.J. Here we are. That's right. <laughs> also, we have Dr. Fred Shackelford, who's the senior pastor of Ellendale Baptist Church. And Fred, I've been wanting to get you on Pastors Forum for some time. Oh, man, it's great. To, glad I could be here in this regard. Yeah. Now you know what yeah. it's like to be in the studio all scrunched in here in the it's office. better than I ever imagined. <laughs> but we also regret that Dr. Cole Huffman, a senior pastor at First Evangelical Church, was also asked, and he was actually, I think, was going to be here, mm-hmm. but the schedule changed and wasn't able to attend. And Dr. Steve Gaines at Bellevue Baptist Church, I think it's worth noting too, PJ, that he was also on the list of pastors to be part of our studio time today. So we're glad to be here and talk about this issue of refugees. As I mentioned at the start of the show, how the church is responding with this LifeWay 2016 report. Now, World Relief Memphis has been in operation since August of 2012 here in our city. The original efforts of this organization date back to 1944 in New York City when World Relief was first created as the War Relief Commission of the National Association of Evangelicals as they sought to address the needs of the vulnerable people living in war-torn Europe. That's one of the things I'd like to connect with you guys because there's really a rich history with World Relief PJ. So why don't we just kind of start off and talk about the daily operation and what that looks like with World Relief Memphis. You've been here since August of 2012. Yeah, that's right, Byron. We opened our doors here in the city actually at the invitation of a group of churches that got together and said, hey, World Relief, your mission is to empower local churches to serve vulnerable people. Can you come to Memphis and equip us, help us to mobilize our congregations to live into these biblical principles of loving God and loving our neighbor? Yeah. And so that's when we came to, to Memphis and has and we've had great partnerships with churches all over the city, numerous denominations since we've been here. And you've been the director now of the local office for how long? About three years. Okay. Thinking back about people who are vulnerable, I mean, in Europe in 44 and the war torn and what was left behind and trying to show compassion. I mean, that's a great story there, Dr. Shackelford. Oh, absolutely. And I think for many of us, when we hear that, we think back on the history and we think back uh, to that difficult time in our in our nation's history. 
Um, but what I think we often forget is that there are many parts of the world today that are still in that kind of turmoil. And there are people pouring out of, of nations that are being displaced that need just as much of a place to land as in those days of, of the world wars. Of course, World Relief has been, as I mentioned, frequent guests over the years. We've had different refugees themselves come and share their stories. I think of Thai Mitzenpah. I think of mm-hmm. uh, Prakash and others who have been on our That's, programs yeah. in Mid-South Viewpoint in the past to share their own incredible stories, how God providentially brought them here after a life of chaos and living in refugee camps for long and just all that resulted in that. But another thing that came to attention back in September of last year, President Trump signed an executive order on enhancing state and local involvement in refugee resettlement. A short portion of that order says that by the authority vested in me as president by the Constitution and the laws of the United States of America, it is hereby ordered as follows, purpose the resettling refugees into American communities. It is the policy of the United States to cooperate and consult with state and local governments to take into account preferences of state governments and to provide a pathway for refugees to become self-sufficient. And I think that's really the underlying thing. And what you guys do and ongoing do, PJ, is to help do just that thing, to help these refugees to become self-sufficient. That's right, Byron. Our mission to empower local churches to serve vulnerable people is actually one mission with two mandates. We want to work with churches to empower them to come alongside vulnerable people as the people of God have been called to do. We also want to engage newcomers in our city, our newest neighbors, and helping them integrate and thrive in our communities. So we have programming where we help refugees that are have been invited by our U.S. government to come to the United States. Those that have been assigned to come to Memphis, about 90% of those over the last three years have been joining family members or close friends that had been previously torn apart by war or persecution. We also have programming in English language services to help people learn the language Uh, employment services to place them in their first job on that pathway towards self-sufficiency. And we also have uh, just a number of of programs, youth mentoring program as well, to help those families really get integrated into our community. On the heels of this executive order by President Trump that was signed back in September of last year, as Mm -hmm. I mentioned, on January the 3rd of this year, Shelby County Mayor publicly reaffirmed the county's intention to welcome refugees. Mayor Harris said at a public signing, these people are really the fabric of our community and we should continue to welcome them. What does that mean to your organization, Mayor Harris, sign that and make that proclamation? Yeah, we were really grateful for Mayor Harris and, and his formal recognition of a long history Really, since the Refugee Act of 1980 was passed, Memphis has been welcoming refugees and integrating them into our community pretty successfully. And we're thankful that this executive order by President Trump has created a procedure for our local county leaders and our state governor, Governor Bill Lee, to formally play out this procedure and, and really solidify that strong private-public partnership that historically had been so strong in the past. Yeah, something, too, I think is worth underlining here about World Relief Memphis and the association, just World Relief in general, is that you are the only evangelical faith-based reselling organization. There's a handful right now that the government works through, Catholic Charities, among some others, but you guys are the only evangelical faith-based outreach to help the reselling process. Yeah, that's right. And even to zoom out just a little bit, World Relief, we're a global humanitarian and development organization. So we're in 20 countries around the world, about 18 cities across the U.S. Our mission to empower local churches plays itself out 
in different ways and different contexts all over the world. But in the U.S., that's correct. We are one of nine agencies that contract with the State Department to receive those vetted refugees that have come by invitation of the government. We are the only evangelical Christian organization as the humanitarian arm of the National Association of Evangelicals. Okay, Dr. Shackelford, referring back to LifeWay's research that I mentioned, churches are two times more likely to fear refugees than to help them. Have you had to address this fear within your church members? And really, how do you address this fear? I haven't sensed that fear directly uh, from anyone specifically in our church. I do think sometimes there's a um, a, a cultural sort of uh, misunderstanding, or sometimes we can allow our patriotism to sort of supersede what the biblical mandate is for hospitality and welcoming people into our community and and reaching out. It gets to the point that people are thinking, hey, we're going to give up our sovereignty by allowing refugees to come in. I think that is true. And what I try to remind people of is just the the movement that we see in Scripture and, Mm -hmm. and how the Bible just very clearly mandates both hospitality to people who move in, as well as for the church to move out and engage the nations as well. The biblical story doesn't happen without the movement of people. It just mm-hmm. doesn't. From beginning to end, we see from Genesis when we see God calling out to Abraham after the Tower of Babel and saying, you know, leave this place and go to a place where I will show you. And Abraham being rewarded for his faith and the promises that took place to Exodus when God draws the people of Israel out of Egypt, all the way to Revelation where we see the nations in the new heavens and new earth migrating to the city of God to worship the Lamb. You know, so we see the movement of people from beginning to end. Not only that, we see the movement of God to us. <laughs> and it's and it's out of that I'm confident that we as Christians have a responsibility to go as well as to welcome. And and some of the people groups that we're referring to has been difficult for the church to be able to reach these particular nations because of political reasons or religious reasons of government trying to have a, a witness or church in these areas. Not that there's not, but it can be difficult. A lot of these people groups, they're being sent here for opportunities. Absolutely, yeah. And Pastor Shackelford, correct me if I'm wrong here, because I'm going to talk about the scriptures here for a moment. And you're the pro here. But Acts 17, where it talks right. about God uh, right. allotting the boundaries and timing of people's dwelling exactly. place, yep. that they might feel their way toward God, though he's not far from any one of us. Just the idea that you know, we are welcoming refugees from Afghanistan and Somalia. Yeah, and that's, that's really the heart of it, is that it's God that directs the movement of people. Mm. And if God directs the movement of people to us— seems to me like we as God's people have a biblical responsibility to love, to welcome, and to use whatever whatever influence we can gain just through loving relationships to get the gospel to them. What so, ways, uh, Fred, is your church currently engaging the refugee community? Sure. Well, we're not where I would like for us to be yet, but we do have several volunteers, thanks to World Relief and their uh, equipping. We have several volunteers that do work with refugee families in our community, help with transportation and just welcome them into their home. And Have, and, have you seen some positive thing. results of those relationships? Oh, absolutely. I think whatever opportunity we as Americans have to engage internationals and have relationships with with international people, it opens our eyes to a bigger world. It opens our eyes to opportunities 
um, for the gospel to take root in right. not just local communities, but uh, around the world as well. It helps us engage in the mission that God has given us to. Yeah, I know. I have experienced that my life has been transformed because of relationship. Right. Relationship right. with Jesus Christ. And even in the day-to-day relationships around me, God is using those relationships in my life to draw me closer to him. And that's what we're really asking churches to do when they come alongside a newly arriving refugee family is be a person, be a friend, be a neighbor and live intentionally in front of them. And that might be, that might mean walking alongside a family as a part of a good neighbor team for six months. And it's a very intensive partnership, a very intensive relationship, or it might mean driving a van to an English class and picking up people on, on a van route after being trained. And that's, that's a different type of on-ramp, but we're asking people to maybe give up a little comfort, give up a little time and, and engage with the love of Christ and, and meet people where they are. You know, I was just thinking about Jesus engaging the woman at the well, an outcast mm-hmm. person in society and how he reached out to her. And sometimes the simplest way of connecting with people. Recently, I, I love milkshakes. <laughs> so <laughs> there's a place in Collierville that has these milkshakes. And I thought, I've got to have one before I leave, you know. And so the lady that was taking my order, I sensed that she was from Korea. I know one Korean word, Anyohaseo, that's all I know, <laughs> which is basically greeting hello in their language. She just lit up like a Christmas tree. And she's how do you know? You know, and so we got into a little conversation, but it's just bridged the gap when you take time to let people know that you really care and you're interested right. in them, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And even as we've welcomed families here, we've welcomed some families from the Democratic Republic of Congo. And we even see those community members planting churches in our neighborhoods and starting small groups and serving. And that has blessed me. And even our families from from all over the world, um, all kinds of countries, our staff, our volunteers have their own stories of transformation, how they've engaged as they've engaged cross culture. I mean, we haven't had anybody from the Sudanese church recently, but there is a thriving Sudanese community. and They have a church. They're actually sending out missionaries. Mm-hmm. They've actually sent out several of their pastors mm-hmm. back to Sudan right. to do ministry. Go back, Dr. Shackover, to the fear factor. Some are fearing that these people are going to come and there's going to be potential terrorist attacks. There's the fear, is our U.S. government going to have enough money to sustain this venture of caring for so many people when there's already so many other needs in our country? Let's address the fears. Sure. For example, the the terrorism fear. I think, I think that really comes from a lack of understanding about the extensive, extensive hoops that potential refugees have to go through to in order to be resettled. You know, many of these families are waiting for years and years in a transitional kind of situation, and they're vetted to an extreme degree before they can be placed here. Yeah, there's at least seven rounds of security checks with the Department of Homeland Security, Department of State, there's biometrics, there's lots of rounds extensively vetted. And these are the families that have been welcomed here by the U.S. government. Let's go back to that statement you made earlier about the relationship, Dr. Shackelford, between patriotism and our Christian faith. Sure. We want to be patriotic, and it's it's good to be patriotic. I'm so thankful for this country that we get to live in, that we get to worship freely. I'm thankful for the influence that the United States has around the world. But we need to be careful as Christians. My goal for our church, my goal for myself is is that we have a thoroughly biblical worldview. I think too often we're at a place in history and in culture where sometimes in churches the biblical worldview is being overshadowed by a political worldview. 
we have to guard against that. We want to be uh, directed by the Word of God and the Word of God alone. And if there's ever a point in our culture where one political leaning perspective or another prevents us from being hospitable or discourages us from being hospitable or has the potential to remove even the opportunity to be hospitable toward families and individuals in need, we have to take a step back and evaluate our response to that. And hopefully we'll choose to be guided by what the Word of God says. PJ, give us the definitions, if you will, between refugees, immigration, and illegal immigration. A refugee is someone who has uh, fled persecution or has a well-founded fear of persecution due to their race, religion, political affiliation or opinion or, or particular membership of a, of a social group. And they're someone who has fled that conflict or persecution and crossed over a border into another country. That's really a refugee. I'd say most commonly at our border right now, we see those that are seeking asylum. That is someone who has migrated, has left has been pushed out for those same reasons as a refugee. It's a step earlier in the process, really, and they haven't come to a, a second or third country of asylum. Those are really the two that we're seeing in, in Memphis right now through World Relief. There also are those that have come to our states without documentation. There are those immigrants that have maybe been welcomed, have come through legal means and have overstayed visas, which is mm -hmm. actually more than half of those that are in our country illegally currently are those that have overstayed um, their visas. And so it's a really complex issue that requires a complex solution. At World Relief, we think that we can be secure, we can seek reform of our immigration system, and we can be safe, and we can be hospitable. How vital, PJ, is the relationship with a local church with World Relief Memphis, that connection? Yeah, the local church, I think, is God's plan A for restoration, bringing God's kingdom. It's, it's the most dynamic social network that we have uh, that the world has ever seen. And so we think that by the power of the Holy Spirit, through how God has instituted a local church to be the hands and feet of Christ in our community, it's a vital partnership, and we've seen great success. Dr. Shackerford, I remember when our family first moved to the island of Guam to be missionaries, one of the things that I had the opportunity to do was to, to get in that beautiful ocean. And I'd never been around water before. It was a little intimidating, you know. And I remember the first time I put a mask and a, a snorkel on and put my face in there. I didn't know what was going to come grab me, you know. And then eventually, before I left the island, I got certified to be an advanced diver. Mm -hmm. And I got to experience the underwater world and the depths and beauty of God's creation underneath. You know, it was incredible. Before that, it was just great fear. But until I learned the process and got engaged in it, then those fears kind of disappeared. And I understood precautions and how to be safe and what to do and, and how to interact with this world that was all new to me. And I was just thinking of a similar illustration here when it comes to engaging the refugee community. You know, you might have a legitimate fear, okay? Why not step into an opportunity? I know there's a thing that World Relief does called coffee and conversation. If you could volunteer maybe a few hours a month or 30 or 40 minutes a week or whatever, you're being willing to step into that fear, and learn to engage and interact with people. Right. And I think uh, I think the key to that is really relationship. So many fears are eliminated when we do dive into a relationship and and when we we can connect with someone that we formerly just thought of as a category, it opens up dialogue, it opens up mm -hmm. just the the opportunity for the spirit to work within us but also 
for the spirit to work into that individual oh, as well. I, oh, my goodness. Images in my mind so planted. Again, when we were missionaries on Guam. It was at a time when Saddam Hussein was doing atrocities toward those mm. Kurds in northern Iraq. Mm. And they were leaving Iraq by CIA planes. And their first stop to U.S. soil or U.S. territory was Guam. Wow. Mm. And so we got to go and welcome literally hundreds and hundreds of these evacuees. And they left everything behind. And I'll never forget this lady coming off and her tears were streaming off and she was just kissing the hands of this worker in just gratitude, being so thankful. They fled for their very lives. They didn't have anything. The children and everything they had was with them. That image is still implanted in my head, thinking about that. And I thought about for myself, what would I do if we were in a situation and there wasn't a country that was willing to help us to resettle, to be self-sustaining in our life, you know? Mm-hmm. I think about that as well. I mean, right now, just in uh, the news today, the situation that's going on with Iran, I've had the opportunity to sit in the homes of Iranian refugees, some of the most beautiful, hospitable people. Uh, Many of these folks were Christians. Some of them weren't. But again, it's just through relationships, through knowing the names of individuals that we sort of associate with a category maybe that we fear. You know, the opposite of of love is not hate. The opposite of love really is fear. If we can eliminate fear, that opens up love. And and if we love, that eliminates fear. It just takes that extra ounce of courage, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And you don't have to sign up um, to be a missionary and go overseas to fulfill the Great Commission and to live out the Great Commission. Right. You can walk across the street and meet your neighbor, and even that takes courage, right? right. And we need right. to ask God to give us that courage and to cross over that, that door threshold or to go volunteer at that organization because you have to get a little uncomfortable to do mm-hmm. some of those things. But That's true. The love does motivate that. Yeah, and motivate. anything worth doing requires a little bit of risk. Hmm. How important is it that we as the people of God engage people who are at a a threshold of their life where they're open to change, they're open to dialogue, they're open to learning about what America's about. And so even if they're not believers, what an opportunity we have just to be the light of the gospel in their lives. That's awesome. And as I mentioned, churches are most likely to help refugees by giving money to help organizations like yours or praying 19%. Fewer churches volunteer to help refugees, which we've talked about, 7%, or to sponsor individual refugees, 5%. So what other ways we can help the direction for churches to be more involved across the board when it comes to giving, praying, and actually engaging refugees? I think equipping yourself, reading the scriptures, going to those websites I just mentioned, I think where we can start is with the scripture and also just with prayer, asking God to open our hearts to where we should start, where that he would soften our hearts to not be living in fear or motivated by fear, but really opening our hearts to what God has to say. What does 2020 look like with current and and future refugee operations? Yeah, that's a great question. And actually, we're grateful for Mayor Lee Harris. We're also really grateful that earlier in the month, even before Christmas, that Governor Bill Lee of Tennessee actually gave written consent to receive refugees in our state. He actually um, did that before Christmas time, which we were grateful for. Part of the, the, the birth story of Christ was him after being born, Joseph and Mary, fleeing into Egypt um, under, under fear of, of persecution from, from the king. And, and so before we got to celebrate Jesus' birth and, and even part of that story, uh, we were able to celebrate the fact that refugees could be continued to be welcomed to, to Tennessee and, and more specifically Memphis. Um, so really in 2020, what we're excited about 
is um, being able to continue to reunite families that have been torn apart by horrific circumstances. Uh, We're grateful for that. We're grateful to be able to continue partnering with our over 160 church partners across our city. Uh, We're also really excited to be able to continue to serve anywhere between seven to 800 um, immigrants and refugees um, through our programming at World Relief as we seek to facilitate those relationships that really offer transformation. I mentioned coffee and conversation. Is it one of the practical ways you guys are allowing our listeners to engage World Relief Memphis in the refugee population here? Give us some other ways that uh, you mentioned that could help our people to be able to engage this need of refugees here. Yeah, thanks for asking. I, I would say um, that conversation class is a great, great way. We offer each of these opportunities. We offer um, training. Uh, so if if you have a willing heart, um, you are you're qualified. Uh, and we want to hear what your giftings are, where your passions are, and, and we can um, put you alongside some of our programming or some of our new families. Um, and so we have uh, those cafe English opportunities. We have um, a transportation schedule um, where people can use their own vehicles or we have vans as well for people to drive um, to help our, our families get to different appointments and classes. We have a good neighbor team opportunity, which is a, um, a, a small group or family coming alongside another family that is new to Memphis. Uh, we have women who stand groups walking alongside vulnerable women. We have uh, lots of different opportunities, administrative opportunities and the uh, website all over the board. too would be the best way too, right? That's, that's a great way to learn about us and our opportunities. It's worldreliefmemphis.org, www.worldreliefmemphis.org, O-R-G. Dr. Shackelford, as we wrap up and say goodbye, would you just pray for our refugee Absolutely. community yes. and as we say goodbye on our show today? Absolutely. Father God, I just am so grateful for this conversation. I'm so grateful uh, for the work you're doing through your church to take the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. And Lord, it's so amazing just to think about how the ends of the earth are coming to us. And so, Lord, I just pray that perhaps through this conversation, our hearts would be awakened to the needs around us, to the opportunities around us, to glorify your name, I thank you for the ministry of World Relief. I thank you for Byron and his hospitality to us today. Lord, make us hospitable people. Make us a hospitable church so that you can receive honor, glory, and praise among the nations. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 P.J. Moore, Dr. Fred Shackelford, thank you guys for what you're both doing for Christ's kingdom in relation to our refugee population in the city. Thanks for being our guest today. Hey, thanks, thanks for having us. Thank you for having us. Well, friends, that's all the time we have on today's Mid-South Viewpoint. It's always a pleasure to have you. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.